Today in God's Word, we're going to hear from Jesus, and we're going to hear from Jesus about something extremely dangerous. And that thing that is extremely dangerous, that is dangerous in this life and has ramifications for the next life, would be the matter of acting spiritual. Acting spiritual. Acting as opposed to truly being. Acting because actors do what they do to be seen. And so we're going to hear from Jesus. Listen now to what he says about this matter. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Matthew 6 is going to be our text. And so if you're not already there, you can find the sixth chapter of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew where Jesus has his disciples around him. He's in the Galilee region with a larger audience listening in, and he's wanting to help them. So he's saying what he's saying to them out of care, out of concern, uh, equipping them to be faithful followers of himself. And he gives them this warning, this warning about acting. And as he does this in 6.1, he follows that by giving a number of examples. So what we're going to do this morning, if you want to take notes or you want an, or you'd like an outline, the warning is in verse 1, and then following that, he gives three illustrations. Three illustrations designed to help disciples maneuver, help disciples to know how dangerous it is to not be doing the right thing for the right reasons, uh, how, how dangerous it is to be doing the right thing for the wrong reasons even, uh, in particular. So chapter 6, verse 1 would be this warning followed by three illustrations, three examples. This is good for us because it helps us to be the right kind of followers of Jesus, not just in name only. It's also good for us because it helps us understand how it is we can do the most important thing in the world, and that would be to give God glory because God and God alone is God. Well, as we consider verse 1 and the warning that Jesus gives us, I, I want to ask you the question, what's, what's the real danger? What's the real problem? And the reason I want to ask that question is because when you look at verse 1, you might be, if you're not paying close attention, tempted to think that the problem uh, is practicing righteousness. Because in our day, righteousness is usually associated with self-righteousness, and it gets a bad rap. Uh, but it's a word that we see in the Bible all over the place, Old Testament, New Testament. It's actually right to practice righteousness. So Jesus isn't saying, don't practice righteousness. No, Practicing righteousness is good and right because righteousness is doing what God says. It's, it's doing the right thing. And so Jesus is certainly not saying, don't do the right thing. No, he, he would encourage them. In fact, the whole thing is about him encouraging them to do the right thing. And we could summarize what God requires as loving him appropriately uh, in light of what Jesus says and, and loving neighbor appropriately in light of what Jesus says. So he's going to only encourage that. And so that's not what he's warning against. Maybe I would then say, well, is he warning against the problem of practicing righteousness in public? And at first blush, that's, I want to say, yeah, he's warning about doing the right thing before the watching world. Ah, hold on, though. 
Before we say that's what he's warning against, if we step back just a little bit and we remember the whole sermon, in chapter 5, he actually encourages us to do the right thing in front of other people. Chapter 5, verse 16, if you just look over there, Jesus said in the same sermon earlier to the same disciples, 516, in the same way, let your light shine in private, no, before others, that's public, so that they may see your good works, that would be a synonym for righteousness, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, practice righteousness. Practice righteousness, it's okay to do so in public. So, what really is the problem? If we're to be more nuanced and careful and paying attention, the problem is we're getting to hard issues here because we're getting to motive kind of issues. We're getting at issues of the heart, and I suppose we're getting at the issue of beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, full stop, or practicing your righteousness, doing the right thing in front of other people, yes, so that they would see and give you glory, no, so that they would see and they would see what God has done in your life and they would give God glory, that they would come over to the other side and acknowledge what you've acknowledged, your sin, your need for Christ, and to give God the glory because God and God alone deserves the glory. And so that seems to be really at the heart of what Jesus is getting at in this warning. Now in one sense I want to say there seems to be a fine line there. Well, maybe it's not such a fine line, but that line that's there between doing it for your glory and doing it for God's glory, not a fine line, but a line that can be easily clouded, or we can't, we we begin to not see straight, and we begin to not think rightly about this. It would seem to be, seem to me that many a man and many a woman have desired to do the right thing, and before one knows it, We were doing things, the right things for the glory of God ultimately and now we're doing it for our own glory and our own honor and we end up in a mess. We end up like the Pharisees and the scribes who Jesus doesn't warn at the end of the gospel account. He pronounces condemnation upon them. You can actually look with me, if you would, in chapter 23 where he does this. Jesus knows he's going to do this. He knows all things. And so so with a view toward uh, what he's going to pronounce upon them as far as woes are concerned, condemnation, he wants to protect us from that. He wants to protect disciples from that, those who truly belong to him, that we would never hear a woe, that we would only hear the warning. Because it's not good for us, it's not sane, it's not right, it doesn't bring God's, God glory when we do things, or even the right things, for our own exaltation. So, here, let's take a look at the, this dark underbelly uh, with the biggest, biggest spiritual actors of all. Chapter 23, verse 15, Jesus says, with gloves off, I might add, woe to you, pronouncement of condemnation. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors. You're, you're not legitimate. You're just doing this, not from the heart, but for, but, but externals, for your own motives. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or a disciple or a follower. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell 
as yourselves. Pretty harsh words, pretty intense words directed toward people who are part, who are talking about the right God, who are part of the right religion, who had the right scriptures. And yet he pronounces condemnation upon them because this business of acting righteous and not truly seeking God's glory but seeking our own is dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. And so when Jesus gives these illustrations that we're going to see in a few moments, realize he's doing so out of love for those who belong to him. These are things to be taken to heart. He knows how bad things can become, and he wants to protect you from that. Remember, Christians are called disciples. Disciples are called Christians later in the Bible. We, not, we may not make up the twelve, um, but we also, maybe lowercase d, are disciples. We are followers, learners, those who belong to Jesus as our teacher, and he wants to protect you. He wants to help you to not get cloudy on the issue of why you do the right things. So keep that in mind as we progress to the illustrations. But one more really cool thing I want you to see. Uh, As a good Bible student, we're all theologians. Everyone is a theologian. We just want to be good theologians. Those who study God and understand God and His ways in the world and the people of God. I want you to notice something uh, really interesting so far in Matthew's Gospel account about righteousness. Remember... Here, or, or don't remember, it's just see here, practicing your righteousness. Well, that's a good thing, to do the right thing. Well, remember earlier in Matthew's gospel account, we learned in chapter 1, he came to save his people from their sins, 121. I keep emphasizing that. But then also remember that in chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus says he came to fulfill all righteousness. So let's connect dots here and let's... Make sure we have good, clear categories because the Bible is affording us, it is giving us good and helpful categories. God requires perfect righteousness, that we would do the right thing, that we would love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, love neighbor as ourselves, that we would be righteous, in other words. So God requires that. We don't meet the requirement. Christ comes as Savior to meet the requirement. He himself says, we're going to do the right thing, what God commands, to fulfill all righteousness. And so we're grateful to stand before God, accepted because we're trusting in Christ. Ha <laughs> ha, but now, this is where I get excited because we're, we're, we're connecting dots. He then says to those who belong to him, those who are his disciples, by faith, those who would be accepted by God in a righteous status, He then tells them to practice righteousness. You see, we're supposed to practice righteousness and we don't to God's standard. So we're under condemnation, not justification. We trust in Christ for justification. Now we're in a right status. So our obligation to be righteous has been met in Christ. But now that we're in a new status before God by faith in Christ, we're called to do what? We're called to practice righteousness. Because it's always right. Righteousness is always right. But now I don't have to fear condemnation because Christ has paid the penalty for me on the cross. I've been accepted. I've been justified. But now what am I supposed to do? Sleep, spiritually speaking? Am I supposed to do nothing? Just sit back and relax and be passive? No. Now from a new status, I want to do the right thing. The Bible gives us categories like this or gives us the data so that we can have categories and think sanely. I love this sort of thing. 
And I hope you're, you're catching on. This is, this is the data, if you will, that, that Paul uses to write Romans and explain justification to us and explain how we want to do the right thing, but not to earn favor with God, but because we have favor with God because of Christ, we want to do the right thing. So now from a right status, we want to do righteousness. We want to do the right thing. And it is an awesome and amazing thing. In summary, I'll put it this way, and I quote, We practice righteousness before the Father, who is our Father, because of the Son, our representative, who fulfilled all righteousness. And if you came for no other reason or tuned in for no other reason today, then that you got your money's worth. Okay, three examples to help us to avoid being actors and not the real thing. In other words, to help us from to not be hypocrites. The first one, the first uh, example uh, of spiritual acting as opposed to truly being is when we're helping those in need. When we're helping those in need, and we see this in verses 2 to 4. So look with me there at verse 2 where Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sometimes called almsgiving, expected according, or according to Deuteronomy 15, 11, and other texts, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. It's a pretty good figure of speech. It's ridiculous. It sounds crazy, right? Probably not meant to be taken literally. Some argue that it actually is, uh, but it doesn't have to be. When you're going to do the right thing that God requires, what you don't do is, before you do it, make some huge grandiose announcement as if royalty were ready to walk into the room. Dun-da-da-da, right? Don't do that. Look at me. That's what they would do for royalty. Someone very important, someone very special, a king or a queen, a prince or a princess is about to enter your presence. Everyone on your feet, be ready. All attention here. I'm going to do the right thing, everyone. Look at me. Aren't I awesome? And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't be in it for the publicity. You're not doing the right thing the right way for the right reason if that's what you're doing. It's, it's good and ridiculous for us to see because it's good, and, uh, good for us to see that it's ridiculous to say, this is about me. Look how special I am. No, we're people who've been saved by the mercy of God according to His grace. That doesn't make any sense. That's, what, that's not what fuels our righteousness. And then He calls people out. And so, um, just be ready for Jesus to, to, to not say, you have your truth, I have my truth, everything's fine and all roads are good. No, He says, by way of contrast, as a disciple or to disciples who He cares about like us, He says in verse 2, as the hypocrites, as the actors, literally is what that's, that's what that word is. It's the, the, the pretenders. They're acting like someone who they really are not, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, places of worship where public life was conducted in the first century where everybody can be there to see. It's in public and in the streets that they may be praised by others. There's their end game. End game is self. End game is not God and His glory out of gratitude. Praise by others. Verse 2 goes on to say, you can see there truly or earnestly, soberly, seriously, truly I say to you, they, those actors, have received their reward. In other words, rather sadly, that's all they're going to get. 
They might have had some fame in the moment by their fellow self-righteous people. Oh, look, look, look at them over there. Yeah, they're, they're like us. Wonderful. Or just by onlookers, but that's all they're going to receive. Literally uses the word for a receipt. They have their receipt for their five moments of fame. Then verse 3 says, But when you, here's Jesus caring about those who belong to him. But when you, and it's a contrast, when you, not like them, when you, you who belong to the one true and living God by grace, when you, you who belong to me, you who who think sanely, you know there's only one true God and you're not him. When you, who've heard from God, from the Son, ultimately, God's revelation. You understand these things. You're spiritually sane. But when you, not like them, there's a difference. Give to the needy. In other words, you do righteousness. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Is that possible? If your body's messed up, it might be possible. But to a healthy human being, that's not possible. But again, he's making the profound kind of ridiculous point. It should be done in secret with the right kind of motive, not to impress. So that your giving, verse 4 says, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, that's the reward we want. We don't want the other reward, which is short-lived, Not the ultimate, not what we're looking for. We're actually looking to honor God, the one who sees, the one who sees in secret. Do the right thing because it's good for other people. Do the right thing for the right reason to give God exaltation, God glory, because stop and think about it. He's the only one who's really God. It only makes sense to do that. Now, let's just take a breath because I need a breath, but let's hopefully find some encouragement because I find encouragement from the fact that he talks about God in secret. I'm encouraged to hear about the secrecy of God. You don't see your heavenly father. Jesus says in John's gospel account, no one has seen the father. John 1, 18, 1 John says the same thing. No no one has seen seen the father. He's a spirit. He's in secret. But I like learning here that nonetheless, the God who we don't see, the one who is invisible, sees. And he sees what we do in secret. And I find that to be encouraging. I find it to be very encouraging. I like it that Jesus reminds us of that. Now, as far as giving in secret is concerned, Maybe it might help you to think about um, the fact that if we think about who the most famous, most giving, maybe not most famous, sorry, I, I said that wrong. If we think about perhaps, if we, if we just consider maybe who might be the most giving, faithful Christian who's ever lived. Makes me wonder who that might be. And I mean Christian, I don't mean Christ. Obviously, he's the ultimate one. He's faithful, but he's not a Christian. We belong to Christ. I wonder who the most faithful, most giving, most earnest Christian in all of Christian history has been. 
I suppose it's probably someone that we don't have in our history books. Probably pretty likely. They probably don't have cathedrals named after them. If they're the most doing in secret kind of person. I find that encouraging as well. Secret Saints Cathedral doesn't really have a ring to it. (laughs) Who are the great ones? Who are the faithful, sacrificial, most righteous ones? It may very well be the one who's at the front of that line by God's grace, according to His mercy, is someone no one has ever even heard about. Because they're faithfully doing what they're doing in secret, not letting the one hand know what the other hand is doing for the glory of God, ultimately the good of other people secondarily. And that motivates me. That motiva- motivates me to want to be, to, be, to be this kind of disciple. I'm thankful for this guidance from Jesus for that very reason. Because it's counterintuitive. Because I want to be, naturally speaking, I want to be praised and honored and exalted I know that's part of my sinfulness not acknowledging God's mercy, guidance, and grace in my life. Well, I hope you're ready for the second example of acting spiritual and not being truly spiritual or righteous, and that's when we pray. So let's go ahead and look at verse 5 when we learn about our prayer lives. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the pretenders, okay? Don't be like the pretenders. They may be really praying, but regardless of the fact that they're really praying, there are those who really pray who are fakers. They're pretenders. They're hypocrites. Don't be like them. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Notice here ultimately why. That they may be seen by others. Aim is self-glory. End game is me. Jesus is discipling the disciples in prayer and he's saying, don't be those people. And so he gives vivid examples now. If you keep going in verse 5, truly, earnestly, sincerely, soberly, I say to you, I, the one who has unique authority, I, the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, or with you in that case, I, the one who's come from heaven, I, the one who knows what I'm talking about, truly, I say to you, they, the fakers, have received their reward. Once again, the same pattern. They've received the only thing they're ever going to receive. Moment of fame. Onlookers who are maybe ignorant and they think, oh, they're so spiritual. They're so religious. Or onlookers who are maybe fellow fakers. Oh, that's good. That's real nice. I want to be like that. I think I can outdo that. Isn't it interesting that the people that we oftentimes in our culture think are the most spiritual are the ones who are most publicly spiritual. And we're not getting that vibe or teaching from Jesus. And so let's sort that out in our own minds to maybe not follow the crowd in the way they think about things naturally. Jesus is talking about our God, our Father, who we don't see served in a way uniquely for His glory. It's rather secretive. That's good for us. It's helpful. And again, you might be thinking, this Jesus sure, sure is um, not very accepting. He, he, he's exposing. Well, he's exposing the fakers. 
He's exposing the ones who are, who are misleading, blind guides of the blind. So out of love and care, just like you would love and care for small children who are in danger from people who would prey upon them, Jesus with his young disciples is saying, this is the right way, that is the wrong way, avoid that. This is out of love, love for you, love for me. There is such a thing as right and wrong because there is a God who has spoken and made himself known and Jesus certainly is making that will of God known to us. Are we in verse 6? I think we're in verse 6. Verse 6 says, But when you pray, you, again, you who belong to Jesus, you who are the real deal, not because you're inherently better, but because you've experienced God's grace and you know the truth because of what Jesus has taught you. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is is the same thing, the same idea. Rather simple to grasp. Rather complicated and challenging sometimes to do. In, In our text right here, he says your father two times, but throughout this chapter, it's your father, your father, your father, your father. When we pray, he's going to say, you say, our father... It's meant for emphasis. It's meant for us to see, oh, there's a pattern here. I underlined and circled all over my notes because your father, your father, your father, your father, unique spiritual relationship with God. Now he is your father. You've been adopted into his family according to his grace by virtue of his son. You now are brothers and sisters of his son, so you're brought into his family. Because of Jesus, we call him our father. Here's where I'm going with this. If you really, truly grasp that God is now your father, you were alienated, now you're in the family as an inheritor, it only makes sense that you would want to do things for his honor and for his glory ultimately alone. It only makes sense. Your attention is going to be on him. Your attention is not going to be elsewhere ultimately. He's your Father now. The God of creation, the sovereign God, the almighty, the all-knowing, the the all-wise. He's your Father by virtue of the Son. Oh, my attention is to Him. It only makes sense. It's ridiculous for my kids to act as if they have other fathers when I am their father and if I'm kind and gracious to them. Not a perfect illustration, but you get the idea. It only makes sense that they would see me and look to me as their only father. Go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father. Once again, I think it follows the pattern. He's using a a, a figure of speech here. Um, Go to a secret spot. Go to a place of isolation. I don't think he's mandating here that all Christians need to have a prayer closet as some Christians have done. I remember being, remember being a new Christian and listening to a certain Bible teacher and sure enough, every Christian needs to have a prayer closet and you have to have your place where you can shut the door and you can put all your kind of things in there so you can have a prayer closet. I really actually don't think that's his idea here. It's, it's 
making the point about isolation into a secluded room to make the point you do it in secret. Now, I apologize if you have a prayer closet and you're a faithful prayer and it's been good in your life. God bless you. Um, Seriously, I'm not even being sarcastic, amazingly enough. Seriously. Many faithful Christians have said, I have to have a prayer closet and they prayed in the special little prayer room. Awesome. But if you don't have one... um, think he's making a point rather than giving a mandate. Jesus himself did not have a prayer closet. Jesus himself did not own real estate. Jesus himself didn't have a house. And so let's know he's making a point. Don't miss the point. Do what you do in devotion to God in secret. Now, I'm just going to speak for myself here. I'm not going to impugn guilt on anyone else. But if I had a prayer closet, I'd be sure to let you know about it. Which would be contrary to the whole point. Okay? Let's see that we have an invisible God who's in secret. But we know that He exists and He is real and His promises are true. We know because He's sent His Son not only to come to earth and to live, but also to communicate and act and interpret God for us. So this invisible God cares about you and he's personal and he's for you in Christ. And so don't make your life, even when you're doing the right thing like praying, be about you and being seen. Make it about him. Make it about him. By way of contrast, uh, it might help to, to think about going to, an, uh, going to an athletic event. Remember when we used to do that? Um, <laughs> going, to, going to watch athletes, professional or otherwise. And you're, what are you going to do? You're going to watch, by, by nature of what it is, you're going to watch them perform to see who is best. Right? The whole point is to to seek victory, to to show everyone who's watching and to show yourself and to prove to yourself or whatever it is. But the general point is to to show that you're the best, that you've won. Well, that makes sense. It, It makes sense if you win the match or the race or the game or whatever it is to put your arms up in victory. We won. We're the winners. Look at the scoreboard. We're the champions. We, we, we've done it. But that, that's the nature of what a game is, what sports are. Or you could think of some sort of um, other event. If you're not into sports, you could think of a performance. And they're going to go and act before you or sing before you. And the point is for you to see that they're really good at what they do. And so then we're going to do an encore so they come and show us that they're really good at what they do. They're going to be praised because they've shown themselves to be really good at what they do. Great, exceptional, extraordinary. And so we praise them for their actions. That makes sense. But when we talk about religion, religion means relationship with one's deity. So true religion, we're talking about authentic religion, authentic Christianity. It doesn't make any sense at all for it to be about us. Because we're talking about God and His grace and His mercy and His power and His might and His wisdom and His person and His provisions. And so it's about Him and that makes sense that it's about Him. It's utterly asinine and confusing and backward and ridiculous to make 
Christianity about us. And Jesus is saying, it's not a fine line, but it's easily clouded. And so let's learn from him when it comes to that. Still on the subject of prayer, he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, long, meaningless babble. And you can think of people who do long, meaningless, babbling kinds of prayers. It might even be you. If so, stop. But this hasn't ended. As the Gentiles do. The Gentiles would be, Jesus is referring to those who are, I want, at first I, I, I wrote down godless. But it actually, might, they're either godless or actually the opposite extreme. They have countless gods. So it's no wonder they have to keep talking. So it's no wonder they have to keep babbling. They have to address all of the gods. All of the gods who never hear them. Because they're not true and they're dead. And so they, they have to count, cover all of their bases. And try to impress all of the gods who never hear and who never answer. And so it's blah, 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 blah. I'm using self-control and not actually quoting tireless babble kind of prayers that we even have in our day. And he's saying, don't, don't be like the Gentiles. It's not that they're, they're godless. They might have many gods, either or, but they don't know the one true God. That's the point. Again, you, you, he's saying, you disciples, you who belong to me by faith and you understand God now. Don't, don't, don't be like those who don't know the truth. He says, and then if we go on, for, for they think, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Ah, that, that's, that's fascinating. I think some Christians act like Gentiles in our praying because we're Gentiles in our theology because we think that God doesn't know before we act. So as an aside, I don't want to improve upon what Jesus is doing here, so I, I'm not doing that. Maybe it starts with having the, at least good enough theology that you could be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is assuming amongst his disciples that they know something true about God, and that's that God knows what you need even before you open your mouth. Oh, we're, we're, dealing, with, we're dealing with a pretty amazing God. We're dealing with a great God. We're dealing with the God who knows everything. We're dealing with the God who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, the one who is eternal, who is sovereign, who can't be domesticated who doesn't fit in our nice little Gentile box. This is fascinating. Order of the day, number one, I've got to have different theology and think of God differently and that will affect my praying. So Gentiles, they have many gods who are very hard of hearing. They definitely don't know everything, but those would be the pagans. Our God, if we belong to Jesus by faith, knows, let me make it personal, what you need before you ever even ask. Which brings up all kinds of questions about prayer. Most of which we won't answer today. But we are going to talk about prayer next week. Pray like a Christian. Know that God hears. He's already talked about that. God cares. We're definitely getting that in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to get a real great dose of it later in chapter 6. So God hears. God cares. 
He's for His children. He's never against His children. Everything in Christ is yes and amen, to quote other scripture. So don't be like the pagans. Maybe it's good before we move on to remember that the, 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 way, the way to God is not through tireless, babbling talking. The way to God is through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And when that happens, then God is for you. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, Romans 8, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we shouldn't pray? No, it doesn't mean that. He's saying when you pray, we're going to talk more about it next week because next week we're going to look at the prayer that he gives them as a model. We're not going to do it this morning uh, because it, it deserves more time than we can give it. So I am unfortunately going to skip verses 9 to 15, which we know as the Lord's Prayer or perhaps more properly the, the Disciples' Prayer. But I think it deserves its own place and time. So we're going to do that next Sunday. And we're going to continue on here with the third illustration of being an actor and not the real thing and the danger associated with that. So number three, the third example of acting spiritual, again, emphasis on acting, uh, would be when you're fasting. When you're fasting. This will be where we end this morning. Number three, fasting. He says in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Again, the, the spiritual actors, the pretenders, for they disfigure their faces. Gloomy look, look of discomfort is the idea. That, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, you, you're following the pattern by now. They, they may have impressed some people, but that's where the good stops. They've not impressed God, which is the whole point to begin with as the ultimate end game. God wasn't impressed, even if others who are self-righteous or ignorant may have been impressed. You get the idea. <gasps> I'm fasting. That's why I look terrible. I'm spiritual. I'm seeking God, right? As someone might say. Or, or, or something, think, things don't look right. You look like you're suffering. You don't look like yourself. You don't look normal. You, you're, you're, you're disheveled. You're, something's out of place and, it, and it's obvious. Well, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm fasting now. I'm focusing on my spirituality. And Jesus is saying, you know what? That's not how we do it. That, that, that's, that's not what we're looking for. Now, for the old covenant people of God, there were different fasts. There's the fast that's mandated on the Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus 16. There were other fasts that came to be observed, like in Zechariah chapter 8. There are also fasts that were not prescribed, but they were due to unique circumstances, uh, oftentimes associated with grief and turmoil. Like in Psalm 35, verses 13 and 14, uh, even Jesus, when he was tempted, he fasted before he was tempted, unique, tied to grief and turmoil because of what he was preparing himself to do, to be tempted, or what he was being prepared to do, to be tempted. So we see those different kinds of fasts. 
It's interesting also that these disciples who at this point in time are still in the old covenant world because we're post uh, the life, finished life of Christ, death of Christ, resurrection, ascension of Christ. Well, we've not entered into the new covenant world yet. Uh, it's interesting. Jesus' disciples, even in Matthew's gospel account, are sometimes criticized for not fasting the way everybody else fasts. In chapter 9, they're criticized for not fasting the way other people are fasting, other Jews are fasting. I don't want to get too far off track, but I don't think they're avoiding mandatory fasts that are mandated by the law, for example, uh, Day of Atonement, because Jesus wouldn't have been pro-anti-law. So, but they're, they're, they're not fasting the way everyone else is, maybe because of certain traditional fasts that had come along, uh, where people who are showing their extra commitment uh, or spirituality are fasting and they're criticized for not fasting. But let's move on now. Let's move on to verse 17 where it says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Again, think first century people, that's just what they do. If you're taking care of yourself, you anoint your head and you wash your face. He's just saying, do what you would normally do so you look normal. So we probably would do different things to look normal, but the idea is you look the way you did before you were fasting. Because what you're doing, you're doing for the glory of God in secret ultimately. Then he says in verse 18 that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when you fast, no one should know you're fasting. And I almost hate to say it, but he's not talking, he's talking about religious fasting, not some other kind of fasting. We're seeking God's honor, God's approval ultimately. We're seeking God's face, if you will, ultimately. And so we're going to do so in secret because he sees in secret. Now you might be asking the question, I hope you're eventually going to ask the question, what might this look like for us who live on the other side of the ascension, who, who, who are n- the new covenant people of God, so we're not under the obligation for the Day of Atonement or other mandated religious fasts? Though we may fast due to grief or severity or some kind of very severe kind of circumstance, it would seem to be that would be the only time that we would because we're not under the old covenant requirements. So by way of application, if you're going to fast because of circumstance and grief and uh, something extraordinary going on and you're compelled as you're seeking the face of God with great earnestness that's extraordinary because by definition it would be extraordinary and you're doing that, in principle this would definitely apply instead of putting on a show for other people. When I was a new Christian, the person who was mentoring me uh, at at times would say, well, we're going to fast on Fridays. And so, you know, I was like, oh, it's so hard to fast on Fridays. And, you know, I think I, I meant well, but it seems pretty bizarre that we were fasting and The whole group of us knew we were fasting and what a hard time it was for us. The whole point is when you're fasting, other people don't know you're fasting. It's an issue between you and God in earnestness, the one who sees in secret and the one who rewards in 
secret. So we want to obey God because He's God, because it's good for us, because it's good for other people. And ultimately, we're not seeking to please ourselves ultimately, to exalt ourselves ultimately, though we want what's good for us, though we want what's good for other people. Ultimately, what we're aiming to do is to be spiritually sane. And that is to know that there is only one true God and He's for us in Christ. And so let's do everything we do ultimately for His glory and for His honor and we'll be on the right track. But countless people who perhaps started out on the right road to doing these things have ended up in tragic failure. And we'll read about some of them in the Gospel account. By way of a contrast and an illustration, maybe it will help you, maybe it won't. I certainly hope it does. But... As I'm trying to lead my family and let's just say disciple my, my kids, my younger kids in life, I've tried to do with all of my kids imperfectly so, but you try to show them how the world works and how to do things and how to succeed in things. And, and so uh, it reminds me of when we go through a drive through car wash and the kind where they're going to wipe your car off, you know, you're going to splurge and actually get that kind. And so we're going to wait through the car wash, and I always want to make sure I've got, like, you know, a $5 bill or something or, or some ones because I'm going to tip them. And why am I going to tip them? Because I want them to do an extra job, right? I want them to do an extra job and give me a, a better deal. So what am I going to do? When you drive up into the drive-through car wash, I'm going to have the, the five out, Right? I want them to see it. I might even put it on the dash if they can get a better view. And then we're going to go through the car wash. And then there's the guy on the other end. And I've got the $5 bill on the dash. And I want them to see it because I want them to really get the bugs off the front or whatever it is and dry it off even better than he would for the next clown who's behind me. You get the idea? I want them to see and be impressed with that so that they'll give me a better deal. You know what? I think that's pretty good discipleship when it comes to how life works. When you go to Who Hot and you go to the Mongolian barbecue, I give my kids ones, and we all stand there with our ones, you know, going through the line because we want them to do a better job cooking our food and don't get that nasty fish over on my chicken or whatever it is because then we're going to make sure they see, we're going to put our money in. I just think that's just a good way to figure out how life works. That's good discipleship in non-spiritual things. But can you imagine how ridiculous if we were having the offering and the offertory at Omaha Bible Church like we did once upon a time. We will again. And I'm going to show my family, here's how it's done, right? I want to make sure, I want to put my money in so everybody sees, because I really want to impress, impress. That's gross, right? That's ugly. It's, It's missing the whole point. It's ridiculous. This is supposed to be an act of worship to God. Well, let's think in right terms. We want to Serve God who sees, He does, in secret. And so let's do it in a way that's going to be, yes, good for us, maybe good for other people, but ultimately about our service to Him because He and He alone is the one true God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for the encouragement to do righteousness, but to do righteousness for the right reason, and that's because You, God, are our Father through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save. We're thankful for him. We're thankful for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.